Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. You're on Team Human, conscious intervention in the machine. We are taking back the controls, not to restore order, but to promote chaos. Unpredictable human creativity is not the problem, but the solution. Join the party, find the others, throw off the yoke of surveillance and manipulation, and celebrate the quirky, anomalous behaviors and approaches that make real people so much more than robots, algorithms, or consumer profiles. You are not a number. You are a human being. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and I'm on Team Human. Playing for Team Human this week, NPR Note to Self podcaster Manoush Zamarodi. When you're bored, you ignite a network in your brain called the default mode. The default mode is when your body is on autopilot and your brain just goes. Manoush, whose book Bored and Brilliant comes out today, will be talking with us about the creative power of a quiet, disconnected mind. It's time to intervene on behalf of humans. I'm Douglas Rushkoff, and you are on Team Human. Like many of you, I've been uh, watching hurricane porn this last couple of weeks, uh, particularly Irma watching her make her way through the uh, Caribbean up to Florida. And I have to admit, I'm not proud of all the emotions I had while watching this thing. So it would move from a Category 5 down to a Category 4. And most of me is thinking, oh good, that means less death and destruction. But part of me is thinking, oh, it's not going to be as dramatic. It's not as good television. The, the climax isn't going to be as big. It's not going to hit Mar-a-Lago. Uh, it's moving to the West. It's getting these ones instead of those ones. And, and I could sense in the broadcast journalists, too, this almost addiction to a higher number or worser winds, or more potential destruction. And then this almost anti-climax sense of disappointment that the destruction was limited to this, or that the, that the problems that the hurricane will cause are going to end up being more these sort of long, chronic problems, the same old problems we have now, but worse, of homeless people and poor people and infrastructure not working. And, oh, gosh, that's going to go on for weeks or even months. And in the disappointment, in the in the desire for more excitement, even horrific excitement, I saw echoes of the whole Donald Trump nomination and election. I could understand what was going on in the minds of some of the people that voted for him almost more as a form of entertainment than as 
a form of politics. The same way people are watching hurricane porn as a kind of entertainment. It's like, oh, I could watch my Game of Thrones or I could watch the real hurricane with real winds doing real things. And then this sense of consumer dissatisfaction when the hurricane doesn't quite deliver on its promise, on its advertised promise of destruction and devastation. And this is really the problem when our news industry, and I hate to even call it that, but when our news industry is an entertainment industry, when a news industry is supported by eyeball hours and metrics of the attention economy, just like entertainment is, rather than some higher goal of providing information and letting people know what's actually going on. Instead, uh, the news media applies the demands of narrative, of narrative and entertainment on the real world. And it surrenders to our desire as a people for spectacle. And this is what all those guys, all the Frankfurt guys of the mid-20th century were really talking about, that if you mix spectacle with politics, spectacle with reality, you end up surrendering our world, our decisions to the almost subconscious desire for excitement. This is how memes work, how memes and and media viruses work. They spread when they stimulate. They spread when they're able to create a irritation, really, when they're able to tickle that need for excitement. You know, the same thing that gets people going to a really stupid blood and guts blow up things movie is what gets people to stupid blow up things entertainment on TV. And if the news is going to benefit by presenting that kind of stuff, then systemically, not consciously, but systemically, the news is going to try to promote that stuff. You know, a disaster fed media is going to want disasters. Catering to these kinds of emotions, to these sorts of feelings and expectations, makes our media space and our culture more violent. But that doesn't mean we should ignore that we're having these feelings, repressing these feelings, pretending that no part of you was excited by Category 4, Category 5, by watching stuff fly around, by by feeling the uh, anger at one population or another come out, uh, pretending that's not there just makes them more apt to be stimulated by a meme. You know, we'll all spread the thing that we're repressing and we'll say, oh, we're spreading it because we're angry about it, the way a lot of lefties did for Trump's worst memes. The majority of mimetic spread uh, of Twitter retweets were not by Trump supporters. They were by Trump detractors saying, can you believe he said this? Can you believe he said that? So it's it's not uh, so much the people who are promoting ideas who are conscious of them that spread these things unconsciously. It's the people who haven't really dealt with these things. If you look at your feelings, your real feelings, without fear that having some of these feelings makes you a bad person, then you're actually able to digest them. You know, did some part of you kind of secretly, jokingly hope that, say, Mar-a-Lago would get blown away in the hurricane? That's one of Trump's uh, estates. I don't mean that you really wanted it to happen, but that some impulse, some little part there kind of was thinking that. That doesn't necessarily make you a bad person. It's a component of the entirety of your push personhood. And it might be a component that you're not particularly proud of, but acknowledging it, being able to witness it and see it and process it, that's what makes you more resilient. That's what gives you what I would call a cultural immune response to the most dangerous memes and ideas that are out there. 
powerful viruses, the darkest stuff, they interpolate into our confused code, our repressed sensibilities. That's what makes them powerful, that we're too ashamed to acknowledge we have these feelings. So yeah, this has been a hard week. But by listening to the dark stuff, by really listening to it, by letting myself feel it as I watched this, um, I feel like I was able to exercise a certain amount of it and then kind of return to my human, compassionate, open-minded, uh, you know, pro-human person. You're not bad. You're just human. I'm Ramesh Srinivasan, and I'm on Team Human. I'm Elizabeth Stewart, and I'm on Team Human. I'm Keo Stark, and I'm on Team Human. I'm Michael Fredrickson, and I'm on Team Human. Maybe no one knows better how and why to turn off, tune out, and drop truly in than Manoush Zamarodi. Her Note to Self podcast became the platform for a series of social experiments in breaking the influence of our devices and networks on our lives. And that became a book, Bored and Brilliant, that we're celebrating today. Um, so Manoush, so much I want to engage with you about now that I'm on this side. I know, this is weird, Doug. I You've know. been on my show multiple times. times. Yeah, and even even other things. There was something in the early part of your book that actually... Did you read it? Yeah. That was, it's pretty thin, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty thin. It goes by pretty fast. It goes crazy. by pretty fast for twenty six uh, ninety nine. Um, <laughs> but that's good. You want, you want it fast. 200 pages. People, yeah, that's real. Um, but at the beginning, there was something that I, I related to in an extreme way. And that's where you said about how... Um, you know, you had this career going yeah. broadcast, and then you're going to have kids, yeah. and you're going to let your kids, I mean, the way I used to say it was, they're going to be on my ride, you know? That was the, that was the idea. And it doesn't. No. It doesn't And nobody work. tells you. I know. And I remember this moment. We, I remember being, like, hugely pregnant and going to a baby shower at my husband's office. And he and I were like, whoa. Was talking to his boss. We we're like, we're just gonna throw him in a backpack, man, and like just live our lives. And the guy just looked at us and laughed. And I remember my husband and I turned to each other. We we're like, people are so rude. About, <laughs> like, what is their problem? And then, literally w- six weeks later, I was like, oh my god, he was so right. My ass has been kicked so hard. I wasn't doing anything. I was sitting on the couch watching The Wire and nursing. Okay, maybe not even. The, I was watching Solid Gold okay. at one point, which is on reruns still oh at like two thirty in the morning. That's all I did, and say yes to the dress. That's how bad things got. Uh, I just had the boob out and was nursing this ravenous little mammal and despairing that I would ever do anything else ever again. But it doesn't stop either. No. I mean, and then then I mean the other question then is well, not only is your time wrecked, but those of us who grow up really idealistic about what we want our relationship Mm. to be to the economy and time and Mm -hmm. jobs and all that stuff. You have a kid in America and it's really challenging to then live true to your ideals while you're trying to also somehow insulate this little life from everything everything. else. Yeah. I mean, I have this weird coincidence, which is that my son and the iPhone were born the same month. And so I'm sort of tracking the lives of both of them. In my mind, there's this graph, right? And I think they're both, okay, so they're both 10 now. And they're getting more independent. They're getting smarter. They're getting better at manipulating me. They don't have freakouts as often as they used to. I mean, seriously, I do think that they are maturing in tandem. The problem is I'm getting, I'm holding my iPhone closer and closer and closer and trying to let my son go further and further (sighs) away. And I'm at that point now where, you know, parents, your kids, they have, like, does your daughter have a phone? She does. What kind? She's got an iPhone. She gets my old iPhone. She gets your old one. And she's 13? 12. She's, okay. So I'm at the point where I'm going to have to make the decision whether to, hand over 
this powerful, powerful tool. Right. And I don't think that my son. And that's such a nice way of saying it—a powerful tool. Yes, that is a nice. Whose way. tool is the question? Right. Yeah. I, I, I'm worried, like deeply worried, that he doesn't have the ability to self-regulate and handle it. And so that, to me, is my job over the next 18 months: is to teach him some self-regulation, and it's incredibly difficult because I can barely do it. It's interesting, too. I mean, when you started talking about how they were born in the same month, we would never consider asking, well, I wonder what the iPhone would have been like had your son not been born. (laughs) (laughs) No one. It's like, you know, there's just such a such a profound reversal of figure and ground and the way we think about technology. It's like. You know, maybe Steve Jobs, we think about, well, his life was influential, but as if we're really just at the mercy of these things and, yes. they're, and they're not at the mercy of us. Yes. Yes. Well, and I think that, that because we're starting to, I, my colleagues are getting younger and younger and they don't know a time when it never existed. So you're starting to live in their reality where this is just like the grass. There's grass, there's the subway, there's the phone. Well, that's weird for people like us too, because we were... 10, 20 years ago, we were the first people who knew about this stuff. Right. So we were the well, ones. you really were. I mean, you well, were 80s, really yeah. like groundbreaking. But to be the stuff. person who was telling everyone this stuff's coming and now to be one of the last people left who remembers what it was like before. Yeah. You know, I'm saying almost the same things, only what I say now is considered conservative rather than, you know, progressive. Do you think like for so I, people are like, oh, how did you get interested in technology? And I feel like what happened was with the iPhone was that it, it brought technology to a point where it changed every single societal and cultural touchstone. It changed how we parent. It changed how we find work. It changed where we work. It changed how we fall in love. It changed all of these things. And so for me, I was like, well, that's of interest to me. I was a news reporter. I was a sort of current affairs reporter. When it started to change everything in society, that's when I came to technology. You, on the other hand, were even the same thing. It was just fringier stuff. So I was was interested in uh, in fantasy role-playing games and Mm -hmm. multimedia and stuff. So I was just looking at how were, you know, art, entertainment, spirituality, Mm -hmm. uh, dance culture, psychedelics. Mm -hmm. How was all that being affected by the emergence of interactive technology. So looking at our touch points with technology and what brought us to them, looking ahead, at what point are we going to stop saying the words digital or technology? Because it is so baked into absolutely everything that we do that it's not even a thing anymore. Because it is in our cars and it is on every surface and we don't have to pull it out to use it. It just is in our everything. Is that coming soon? I guess. I mean, I would guess that we we need another word, right? Well, there'll be another innovation that'll then just make this part of tech. Uh-huh. So there was like telephony was a big deal in the 30s, 40s, 50s. Mm-hmm. Oh, telephony, telecommunications, telephony. Telephony. Exactly. But then digital came and then telephony goes away uh-huh. or broadcast. Broadcast. Broadcast media, yes. broadcast media, mainstream media, broadcast media. We then ha- there was cable, cable, cable. No one says right. cable anymore. No. Quite. I doesn't mean they do, but they not... They do, but not the same way. So, I mean, it'll be either, you know, uh, some kind of biotech thing. You know, this gene alteration yes. stuff that they're playing with. Yes. Oh, my gosh. So, anyway, I want to talk first about the the bored and brilliant experimentation mm. that you did. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only one I had ever heard do anything like this before was, um, well, Soupy Sales told kids to get a dollar and bring it, get it steal from their parents. Then oh, yeah. Art Bell, the radio guy, conspiracy radio overnight uh-huh. guy... Um, when Terence McKenna, psychedelics philosopher, was dying, uh-huh. Art Bell had his whole audience, which was like two million people, all focus and like pray at the same moment for Terence McKenna really? to see if they could burn out his uh, brain tumor. Did it work? No, it didn't. He died. Okay. But then, and now <laughs> but you. But then I came along. <laughs> and you, you basically got the idea to not to crowdsource research. Well, in sort some of, ways, to actually. crowdsource research, but to also improve people's lives to see what to see what happens. But right, to take a crowd of people and have them not crowdsource research for you, but crowdsource research for themselves, for themselves and all of us, and report back their findings. Yeah. So what what inspired doing that? And then just explain uh, kind of how how it, how it worked. Okay. So the inspiration for it was my sense of having a brain that felt. Completely barren. I mean, I don't know if you've ever had this moment. It's not writer's block, Doug. It's like 
there's like, <sighs> there's uh-huh. nothing there. And I was, you know, our jobs are to be creative people. And I literally sat down and was like, oh, my God, there's nothing <laughs> in there. And I started to think, well, when did I have better ideas in the past? And the sad thing was it was when I was pushing the stroller with the colicky baby for hours and hours mm. and hours. It was when I was mind-numbingly bored or even just waiting for the subway or waiting in line for coffee or whatever it was. It was these cracks in the day mm-hmm. when you got nothing. It's not enough time to pull out your magazine, but you just were kind of standing around. And now, of course, what did I do? I updated email or, you know, I was a able to be a productive and engaged person at every single moment when I would have had a moment to actually think about my life or Mm. think about of a new idea or come up with something weird that made me laugh on the inside or whatever else. And it didn't seem terribly profound. Um, But when I sort of asked my audience, I was like, I'm feeling like I need to get more boredom in my life. The response was astounding. Like people were like, yeah, I, you know, I've been worried about this, too. Is there anything we can do? And so what we asked people to do was, you know, because these days you want to quantify and datafy and do all that. We asked them to do a week of experiments where we partnered with these apps that measured how much time they spent on their phones, how many pickups a day they did. Mm-hmm. And then every day they woke up and they got an assignment, something to try. Like so. And we included like the science and tech behind why we were asking to do that. So the first day, day one, literally was... If you are in transit, put your phone away. That's it. That's all we're asking you to do. A very tiny behavior tweak change. Let's measure whether it makes any difference in your phone usage. And let's record and see, like, do you feel any different? And I think simply by having people observe their own behavior and be more conscious of what they do, I think a lot of people were like, actually, I don't think it's my phone. Like my producer at the time, Alex, was like, I don't think I have a problem with my phone. And then he looked at how many times a day he was just, you know, doing the pickup, the just check, just quick check. That thing you do, you get in the elevator, quick check, get out Uh of the elevator, quick check. And he was shocked. He was like, I had no idea I was looking at my phone all the time. It's become this physical reflex that we have. And so people went through this, about 20,000 people that one week. And every morning they woke up and they knew that 19,999 other people were also doing it. So there was this sort of community element to it that we're going to try to get bored and we're going to just see what happens. And I I really thought like, oh, it'd be fun. But people reported extreme changes in behavior. And in fact, I just got a letter yesterday from a woman who said that after she did the Bored and Brilliant Project two years ago, she sold her house and found a farm. And she called her farm Make Time. (laughs) And for the last two years, every month, she has a Make Time thing on Sundays where people hand in their phones and they are in nature or in solitude and get bored. And so it was like almost, and I'm curious to hear what you think about this. To me, it's like, it's it's not rocket science, but it's having to name a human emotion that we took for granted before that is slowly being bred out of our behavior. It's not even just an emotion. It's a, um, an, a mo- human modality. Completely. It's a, it's a brain state. Yes. And if you look or stick them, not that I love MRI experiments, put people in MRIs. Oh, I love them. The brain is very active in boredom. Yes. You're, you're in a, it, it's like a car at neutral, mm-hmm. but it's revving and it's doing things that it wouldn't do otherwise. That's why I always tell people there's no such thing as writer's block, mm-hmm. that your work and your brain is churning and germinating mm-hmm. and don't worry about it. You're not. I think like, yeah, I, for me, it was like monkey mind. It was like I couldn't just let the ideas flow into each other in a way i think so i i love fmri uh-huh. science because because uh, I, I yeah, yeah i have problems but um <laughs> so the thing is they know now that when you're bored you ignite a network in your brain called the default mode and as right. you're saying that default mode actually you are 95 percent as busy as when you are your most focused and so your brain goes to work and you do all of these things now if you're meditating you're not in the default mode right and if you're actually if you're updating instagram you are also not in the default mode. And if you're th- writing a letter, you're not in the default mode. The default mode is when your body is on autopilot and your brain just goes. And it can go to scary places, like maybe you start ruminating or you start berating yourself or have negative thoughts or you get depressed. Yes. But I think you can guide yourself 
to mind wandering and daydreaming and and we know there's right. something a state of daydreaming called positive constructive daydreaming where that is when you do your original thinking and you solve problems and you do something called autobiographical planning where you look back at your life build a narrative and make sense of where you want to go so like pretty important stuff considering that as a society we are facing issues like major climate change and an economy that is could go either way at this point and uh, racial and economic divide. I mean, big issues that need to be solved and they're not going to be solved by posting something pithy on Twitter. Right. I mean, the, the funny thing to me is that we have to justify what we'll call boredom or neutral state or whatever it is that we've got to we've got to justify it with increased productivity. Right. But isn't that great that we can say, actually, when you are being bored, you are being your most productive self. I mean, if that's what we have to say, I Doug, guess. I it's say, just say it. Tim Ferriss, you know, I know. ultra Well, but why do you think people value. are gravitating towards that? That's what's so fascinating, right? Like, what is going on in our society right now that people are like, they, they need to name it, they need to schedule it into their day, and they need to know that it is getting them towards... A greater goal. goal because right. they don't see their existence as sacred in itself. Completely. And where did they get that before? I don't know. Maybe like church or stronger sense of community or stronger families or there's there's no guiding path right now. And so I get the sense like people are looking for right. something and they're being left to find it on their own. I mean, yeah, if you're if your kid only holds your hand so they don't get run over when they cross the street, then... You're never really holding your kid's hand, That's right? so sad. My daughter dropped my hand as we were crossing the street. So like, <laughs> I was like, excuse me, sister. It's okay if I get run over, but not you. Kind of rough. But I, on the other hand, maybe. They got to be independent and exactly. all that. But you know what I mean. I do know what you mean. But. If, if if we have to, is that a bad thing that if we name it, if we ask people to schedule it, if we say, like, when you're in the bath, think of yourself as being in the default mode? Do you know what I mean? I, I don't well, we think have that's to. a bad it's thing. It's not bad if, if it's something we have to defend in order to maintain our humanity in the face of whatever this is. Right. And I would say Team Human should definitely be. And I, so I gave a talk recently to um, a bunch of librarians and computer science teachers. And one of the things we talked about... And I'd say yes. They were like, maybe I should set up a couch called the default mode couch in my library so that the kids can go and just sit there. It sounds ridiculous, but actually, I think it's a great idea. Like if my first grade teacher had that in in, I remember at Chatsworth Elementary School, she had this Mm -hmm. thing called the blue chair. The chill out chair kind of? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she could send people there as a punishment, but you were allowed to go there just to like... Chill. But when you're in first grade, it's still okay. When you get to the point where everyone has a phone and the minute you feel awkward when you're standing around outside or you're at a party or you don't know what to do with yourself. I mean, I see it with the parents waiting to do pickup. What are we all doing? We we can't just stare into space because you look really weird. I know. So everyone's checking their freaking stock quotes. Exactly. But part of it is that we do, I would agree, we do justify... uh, wasting our time on these devices and checking things with things like career and money Mm -hmm. and security of my children when if you actually thought about it rationally no you're just addicted to the device because the kids coming out of stanford captology's lab have been taught to addict you yes i mean we're at a point where we have to like think of it like cigarettes where telling them that hasn't worked but we need to be like you're being duped you're being manipulated the company is making money off of you the problem is, well, the good thing is it's not going to give you lung cancer, but it's a much longer, more insidious, deep, I think, rooted change that's happening to society so slowly that if we don't call ah, right now, it's going to be gone. And you and I, the last generation who remembers what it was like before, does that seem really like dramatic what i'm just saying it seems dramatic but it's do you agree i bet i agree yeah hence team human yeah hence team human i mean it's not existence you know where the people Mm. walk into the video game and don't know they're in the game anymore Mm -hmm. but our digital our our media environment has fundamentally shifted Mm -hmm. and cognitions changed Mm -hmm. our understanding of what it means to be human Mm -hmm. has changed and i feel like 
in the industrial age, it was still human beings running machines. Mm -hmm. And now I feel like it's machines running us. I feel like that's the inflection Mm -hmm. point, if you will, that that. It's what like McLuhan talked about and Gestalt talked about the idea of the a figure becoming ground and ground becoming figure that yeah. we were the subjects of this story and now we're the objects. And that is precisely what the people who did this bored and brilliant thing said at the end. Without being prompted, they were like, I like that my phone has been turned back into a tool as opposed to a taskmaster. I feel and this was interesting, it was saying that ninety percent of them after they did the week of challenges, felt as though they had control over their phone. And and it wasn't, okay, so I have to be honest, like how many minutes did we shave off? It was not that impressive. It was six minutes. But when, and I mean, barely anything. But going back to the cognitive neuroscientists and the, the psychologists that we spoke to, they were like, do you understand how difficult it is to change people's behavior in like six days? It's really hard. But if you're saying to them, you can do it, you feel empowered to be able to do it, you believe you can do it, that is where the change actually starts. Right. You've changed their posture. I mean, that was what you said that Sherry Turkle was saying that too, that even if you don't really make a real change, if you've just intervened enough for people to think consciously about Mm -hmm. what's happening, that's 90% of the battle. Yeah, completely. I'll take it. And also, I think- Shrinks will take that. Shrinks will take that. Shrinks will take it. I know. No, it's sort of the first year of therapy. If they just like, you know, I've been thinking, you know, maybe I, you know, shouldn't be getting beaten up by my spouse. Good start. Right. Good start. (laughs) The first step is acknowledging there's a problem. Yeah, completely. And some of those people went much further- you know, that they I mean, I had some people do crazy, crazy things where they shut down every social media. I, I know it's crazy. right? Doug? <laughs> oh, my God. oh, my God. They got <laughs> off every social media. They deleted all the apps off their phone. They some of them traded it in for flip phones. OK. And I think there are certain people who know that they are particularly susceptible to some of this stuff. And that's the extent that they need to go. But then we also had people who were like, I've decided every first Wednesday I'm going to not do Twitter. Just to show myself that uh-huh. I can still be in charge, you know? And it, it's simply setting boundaries and parameters. And that that and, and I think understanding what the business model is with all of this. It is just knowing that your your time, your eyeballs are what is making money for these companies. That's as you say, we had to start we have to start somewhere. It should be enough. I mean the other thing that's fun about what you're doing and something I want to try to your your tactic is something I want to try to include in my own book Mm. is the idea that the first step towards awareness and escape Mm -hmm. is to ask what if dot 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 it feels like it's an Mm -hmm. exercise you do a lot in here well what if we put our phone in here rather than there Mm -hmm. what if we decide when we go into a thing we're going to do this as if your life is open to that kind of experimentation. Mm -hmm. But just asking what if, I don't think a dog says, what if I went outside without the leash? They don't (laughs) think that, you know what I mean? What if? It's a very human thing. It it? is, but that's our salvation in some ways. Mm. And And this is a little sad. I thought just asking what if would be enough and sort of thought people would take it and run with it. But they didn't. I uh, was wrong. What they uh, I, and I would say, I'm what if? Try, well, <laughs> what no, if it were enough? <laughs> no, it's, it's it's but it's a start. I think. Right. But what I I thought I could be like, what if we try to n- take no photos on Tuesday? Right. And people got back to me and was like, well, how will I know if I've succeeded? What does success look like? Does that mean not liking any photos or just taking photos? They wanted very specific parameters and they wanted to know when they could check it off their mental list that they completed the task. Right. How do we assess mm-hmm. completion, the completion Correct. Task? And I think that is a symptom of society as well, that you want to be able to have like you know, what's the stupid phrase that we all say? Just closing the loop here, you know, or right. just like knowing that like you can give yourself a little gold star that you done good. Closing the loop. That's the whole thing, you know, and I've been talking about that in other episodes, why I love the David Lynch 
Twin Peaks and hate pretty much everything else on TV right now. Uh huh. Everything else on TV is about closing the loop. Yeah. Even if they do lots of time travel and weirdness, yeah, Westworld yeah. by the end it closes the loop. Oh, this was happening now. This was happening then. After you're done with the, we need closure. Because we want closure. Yeah. But well, open sure yeah. is what's the opposite of closure? Open sure? Mm-hmm. No. Openness. Open mind. Open mind. But that openness is what makes it more human and weird. How long can you tolerate? It's scarier. I know, but then don't check your phone. You're right. just walking around. They might be talking about you. They might not. I know, and you don't know. But okay, so in, in people's defense, I think we are at such a point where I had to give them very specific things so that they knew. Like, so that's what I changed in the book, right? Mm-hmm. Like when we did the podcast, I was like, give it a try. And then people were like, what do you mean? Give it a try. How will I know if I'm trying? So I went back to the book. When when I went back to the book, I looked at all the comments and I codified it. I was ex- much more explicit in the book. Like, and this is what you're going to do, and you're going to check this list, and you'll know you have succeeded when this happens. Like, it's right. very specific. And then what I've seen is when people have tried, that's when they start to say, what if? That's when they're like, I didn't take any pictures this day. What if I don't take pictures the next time I go to the park? But that's what the empowerment. I- right. And that's where the empowerment comes. Because then they they feel, it's almost like I'm their coach for like for one thing. And then they're like, I can do this, actually. I don't need Manoush. I can do this like every day. Well, then what they do start I- thinking about exactly. About their not to get too digital, but programming their own lives. Correct. Totally. And that is, if I can help them do that, well, then maybe I'll even have purpose in my own life. Like, that's really cool. Because I think, you know, I got letters that people were saying, I'm sleeping better. Or a guy who was like, I feel like I'm waking up from a mental hibernation. Mm. That their brains, like the sparks were flying again. That there was a sort of fuzziness to them and that they you know sheeple to people is what it felt like for a lot of people there's people started playing music musical instruments again or they finished writing a book or i mean students who were saying i thought i wasn't very smart and school was really hard but i did this and school's gotten much easier i mean it's like the uh, your entire self-perception changed like that's huge yeah so i'll take all that that is that it's wonderful and if it sounds hokey to some people i thought it sounded hokey i'm sorry but i convinced myself (laughs) with the help of twenty thousand other people who were like who gives a crap if it sounds hokey because it works and we tried it too late to worry i mean we're i mean we're both you're not as old as me but we're both too old even to worry about what's hokey and our species is in too much peril to wonder about what's hokey. I think that's hard for Gen Xers, though. Because my in- inclination as a Gen Xer is to mock it. Yeah. Or to amazing Randy Poo Poo. Like, it's yeah, not like, real new age. Right. Exactly. Or like, and to be a slacker. Because people striving like these millennials do. That was so not cool when I was in college. Yeah, but what better? What more <laughs> of a slack book title is there? Bored and brilliant. <laughs> yeah. You just told, oh, thank you for redeeming my Gen X cred. I appreciate it. But you know what that. I mean? Totally. It's like I wrote an essay once of strength through apathy. Oh, nice. <laughs> totally. You know, I'm going to pretend to smoke on a, yeah. a little something but we're, there. I think we're, we're, but then the, the other brilliance of boredom mm. is it can make you less almost frantically reactive to what's going on. <laughs> yes. You know, your flywheel gets heavier. Your own, you're, you get. Yeah. If you're a little bored, just a little bored, your feet are on the ground yeah, more securely. I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I think we are we are so primed to be like, I'm outraged. I favorite that. I hate that. And I'm going to respond. Like, and, and it's seeping over into real life or now, react. too. Or react. Maybe not respond, yes, but just... Something. Yeah. I'm going to block you. Yeah. You know? And so we've lost the ability to be a little bit fake in reality, which is where you just act civil or or you, I don't know. I think that that's where we are in society right now, where the two worlds, we're not sure what's real and what's not real anymore. Right. That we, am I the person I am on Facebook? Am I somebody different when I walk into the coffee shop and I see the man, this guy that I've known my whole life, but then he friends me and that's weird. And like, we're, we're I think we're going through this, deep sort of collective mental breakdown that's happening where we're like, what is real in my life? Is it the virtual stuff? Is it the 
IRL stuff. Is it okay to be two different people in those places? Like, I don't think we know what we're doing. Exactly. I mean, it's like in the old days, in the old days, when I was a kid, (laughs) I remember people used to talk about, oh, I'm much more romantic when I'm speaking French than when I'm speaking English. (laughs) You know, things like that. And they understood. And it's probably true that the language made them feel differently. There's different biases. And now people don't even accept the simple premise that, well, yeah, on Facebook, the nature of your friendships is going to be really different than yeah. it is in real life because this is a tool. This is a platform that was designed not to help you make friends. Yeah. And 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 I think the radical honesty, is that the right phrase? The radical honesty that people seem to think is okay to use on these platforms, they're like, well, honesty is a good thing, isn't it? So we've assumed that honesty is good, and I'm wondering if maybe it's not that good. TMI. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> As the kids say. But people have to do TMI because they need a way to feel connected because these devices don't actually connect you. And that comes back to my other big thing, which is privacy. This idea of like privacy in so many ways. Privacy in terms of our data trail that we leave, that these companies understand us in ways that we can't even know and therefore target us for ads and, and influence our behavior. But also privacy that we don't know how to have a thought and then not share it. So that's well, painful to me. It's as if it didn't. It's, I mean, yeah, you wasted it. You could have gotten some <laughs> You could have gotten some traction out of yeah. that. So one thing that I do when I go and speak at colleges is, I mean, it sounds, again, a little bit hokey, but I the shock on their faces when they do it, I have them write a message to themselves and then I make them destroy it. <laughs> and like, I think it kills them a little bit inside and I swear them to secrecy. I'm like, you cannot tell me what that was and you cannot tell anyone else. Only you can know what you wrote on that piece of paper. Oh my God, and I, it's and torture. I, it's torture, it's torture. But that's the muscle we have to rebuild, right? That you can have a thought and you can work through something and you can change your mind and no one needs to know. That's what being an adult is. It's figuring shit out. I'm still working on it myself, to be clear. Well, aren't we all? I mean, I'm sure you got a lot of responses from people saying, well, I don't use the internet at all. Oh, I know. People, oh, yeah. We don't let our kids watch TV. Yeah. Oh, well, just I like how you did that, like, weird nostril sniff after (laughs) you said that. You were like, we don't let our... We don't... I didn't do it quite right. It's, like, a little bit, like... (sighs) Well, it's because it'll be, like, a friggin'... Executive vice president at Cisco's mind control department Seriously? having their kid go to Rudolf Steiner schools and exactly. eat organic goat milk. Yeah. Like Steve Jobs saying that he didn't let his kids have the iPad. Yeah. That's well, not that's fair. That's freaky. Exactly. What do you know that I don't, Steve? Yeah. What I know is that I see my 10-year-old and when he's around the iPad, he's acting... Um, He's cracked out. Like, he'll come over to me and be like, um, uh, uh, mom, mom. And I'm like, oh, God. It's like, he's like, can I just have a little bit of heroin, mom? And But instead, he's like, um, mom, do you think I could have another 20 minutes maybe on the iPad? And so what do you do with that? If you say, no, don't do heroin. No, no more iPad. Then, of course, they're like, but just, uh, mom, just, okay, maybe 10 minutes. Yeah, exactly. Right. So Jane McGonigal. (laughs) Yeah. You know Jane? You know Jane McGonigal. Have you had her on your show? No, I should. She's awesome. I love her. So she's- uh, She gets serious, though. She gets very serious. Like, don't mess with Jane. I know. Right? For those of I'm you who afraid. don't know, she's a futurist yeah. at the Institute of the Future. How cool is that? I know. And she did a, a, a serious she does a serious games conference. Yes. But her whole thing is like so don't say no more iPad bad. Like you have to be respectful of what your kid is getting out of that device. That has changed my parenting immensely. I don't do it all the time, but I do try to be like What's what are you so into? And showing a respect for what they are finding so interesting and wonderful and stimulating. Right. And once like when they see that they respect you and you don't you're not poo pooing it and that maybe you can tie it to like my kid's really into this airplane landing thing. I'm like, how are you a pilot? What do you need? And he's talking. And then I got him talking about lift and how do engines uh-huh. work. And when you can, you know, actually make it a little educational and not. Just have him be sitting there like a, you know, rocking back and forth with this square. The thing I am noticing, though, is kids now, they expect experiences to be kind of pumped into them. Mm -hmm. 
So it's back to your boredom thing, mm-hmm. you know, and that was what attracted me to the book at first is the idea. I thought it was a parent book, really, in some ways. There's a chapter for parents. Yeah, yeah letting yeah. your kids mm-hmm. be bored, you know, yeah. and that they don't, we feel as parents, oh, well, they could be being educated. They right. could be having an enriched experience. Why didn't we go to the Metropolitan Museum today? Right, right. <laughs> Why do we co- live here if we're not taking advantage of all the amazing things around us? Right. But when I think about my childhood, Wandering around the neighborhood with my brother and the other kids looking for a broken window or a toad or a stick and how long it would take to find a toad or a stick. Yeah. What was that? And that's all I remember. I remember that more than trips to the friggin' museum. Yeah, because it had a – your brain – I mean, literally your brain felt, I think, free in a way. My kid – I mean, I paid for him to have this experience, but – of course, I paid for a wonderful, expensive, great Brooklyn camp, and my kid came home. They spent the whole day in the park, and he came home and went into graphic detail about how they found this very large rock and managed to move it into a puddle. <laughs> and I kid you not, he he was like, hey, Mom, so we, we tried first with sticks, and then, you know, Jacob or whatever, like couldn't you? Know, I mean, just and I was like, how long do you think you worked on this? He's like, yeah, that was most of the morning. But they probably recapitulated like two hundred thousand years of human development <laughs> completely. And and did I, why did I have to pay for him to have this moment? Because that's what you do now. You that's you, you, you read books now. about how to be bored, and you pay for camps to take your kid to move a rock like a few feet into a puddle. Because everything is so. That's the thing. Can boredom, I mean, it can, obviously, because you just wrote about it. Can boredom be intentional rather than happenstance? I say yes. Yeah. That you can block time. I'm going to block three hours this afternoon to kind of do nothing. And I think the key is that you know it's going to suck for a while. I think of it as like jogging for me. Uh Uh-huh. I hate the first 10 minutes of running. Yeah. Like, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this, I hate this. And then the <laughs> endorphins suddenly, and you're like, I can fly. Yeah. I am moving very fast. I am thinking about things in a very different way. Like, you suddenly, there, you, there's this moment of you cross over into getting something out of it instead of it ringing out of you. And, and you know, according to one philosopher I spoke to recently, he's like, yeah, that's the motivation that boredom buys you, which is like your brain plotting an escape. How do I stop feeling so shitty? How do I stop feeling so shitty? How, oh, I got to think about things that I find interesting. And then that's when you start making right. the connections between ideas and you, you start turning the boredom into something productive. Yeah. This ultimately left me optimistic. Oh, well, that's good. It, it feels like... If people can do this, if they can experiment on themselves yes. and begin to experience the difference between being programmed and programming, yes. you know, of being at the mercy of these technologies and being a human being again, yeah. then it means that we as a civilization are not yet fully asleep. We're not robotized. We haven't mechanomorphed us, like. ourselves yet. I mean, don't we have to be optimistic? I'm, I mean, I'm a parent. I want, I, we don't have a choice here, Doug. Yeah. This is it. This is like, I don't know, maybe it's like hitting 40 or something, but like, I, I really, I really think life is amazing. <laughs> and I, and I, I want to, if, maybe I can't experience happiness, but I, moments of joy shouldn't, should not be squandered. And if looking at my phone doesn't always, bring me joy so just figure out a way I have to live with it though so let's make it work people let's make it work and and I do think that like whenever I talk to you I think oh here we are we're just this one little chapter in this whole story of human civilization and can this chapter where we are right now not be the one where like they're like oh and then they (laughs) fucked up big time right there I don't want to contribute to that I want to, like, if there's one little thing I can do to stem that, then I'll sleep better. Yeah. And the more we can kind of wake up people's nervous systems to Mm. not be afraid and to smell and touch and feel and... Use all the senses. Yeah. Then... uh, And the common sense. And the common sense. Mm. Then we can be uh, happily bored. (laughs) together 
I know. It's so funny. I used to hate boredom. And now you I aspire it. to it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's Beautiful. Thanks for joining Team Human. We'll be back in the basement media squad at Queens College Laboratory for Digital Humanism next week with more of humanity's strange and wonderful efforts at evolution. We are entirely worker and listener supported. You can join the team by subscribing at Patreon, which will get you access to the conversations on our Slack channel where we discuss the ideas on the show, suggestions for guests, and where we want this whole thing to go. You can also help the show by reviewing Team Human on iTunes. We put a link in the episode description in your podcast player. We're also broadcasting on a few college and community stations. If you want us on yours, please email stephen at teamhuman.fm. That's stephen with a ph at teamhuman.fm. This show is, after all, produced and engineered by Stephen Bartolome. Hello, Team Human friends. Stephen here. I'd just like to say a special thank you to Manoush and our new friends at WNYC, the producers of Note to Self. Thanks for welcoming us into the studio. We had a great time. It was a real pleasure. Again, check out the show notes for a link to review this show and for information on the music that you hear in the background. My name is Stephen Bartolome, and I'm on Team Human. And I'm Douglas Rushkoff. I'm proud of what we're doing here. Welcome you onto the team and looking forward to playing. This is Team Human, our last best hope for peeps. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.